Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we conclude our third volume of the series, The Triumph of the Lamb, as we look in the book of Revelation, chapter 17, verses 6 to 18. Dr. Newfeld is going to bring us a message entitled, Wisdom Regarding the Final Evil Kingdom. to begin today's teaching with a confession. I mean, this is simply one of the hardest passages in Revelation to interpret. It's far easier to repeat what it says than to interpret what it means. And because so many Bible teachers have approached this passage and applied it in so many different ways, it's a bit disconcerting to try my hand at the same text, but I'm going to do my best. Let's begin at the beginning. Revelation 17, 6b to 18 is about the identification of the Antichrist, and it's about the city which is his capital. Now, throughout history, a great many people have tried to identify the Antichrist. And indeed, the record of those attempts, as you know, is very embarrassing for anyone who holds a high view of Scripture. As John reminds us in 1 John, brothers, you know that the Antichrist is coming, and then he also adds, a great many Antichrists have come. But all Bible-believing Christians do know that one man is coming who will be the fulfillment of what the Bible calls the Antichrist. But what will he look like? Is it possible to recognize the Antichrist when he arises? Well, I think it is possible indeed. I think that Revelation 17 gives Christians the clues to know him when he comes. But having said that, I think it's important to add a note of caution. You know, when the Huns sacked Rome and Rome fell, some thought the Antichrist was upon them. See, I can only imagine what life must have been like when all of Europe was threatened by the Mongolian invasions. What about when all North Africa and the Middle East fell to Islam in many places utterly destroying the church? Or what of the rise of Adolf Hitler, that horrifying cleansing of the Jewish people, the destruction of the Christian church in, in Germany? So many unfaithful pastors were there. They became Nazi pastors rather than confessing followers of Jesus. You know, in each case, faithful believers felt that the Antichrist was among them. And, and why shouldn't they? You know, my own parents remember that when they were growing up, the teachers in the Soviet Union demanded that their students should recite a creed which, which would have included the words, there is no God. And many students refused and they were beaten. Well, I hope I've piqued your curiosity. So let's begin by reading Revelation 17, verse 6b to verse 8. Please remember before I read that, that John has been shown a woman, a prostitute. She's seated on a beast, and the woman is drunk with the blood of the saints who are the martyrs of Jesus. This is the church of Jesus whom the woman has wantonly killed. Please remember that this woman is Babylon, or she is the city of the Antichrist, his capital city. The beast the woman rides is the Antichrist who makes this city to be the imperial capital of the, of the entire world. Now to our text. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life, from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast, because it was and is not and is to come. 
Are you confused already? Well, well, if you are, let's slow it down. And let's see if we can understand it together. John, when seeing the prostitute Babylon, marvels greatly. The word used here for marvel is the same word that's used to describe the adoring amazement that unbelievers feel when they see the beast. You can see that in verse 8. All those whose names are not written in the book of life will marvel at the beast. That is, those who are not part of God's elect find that the Antichrist and his capital city, they are the most amazing thing the world has ever seen, and they become infatuated with this. Do you remember that Jesus spoke about this? He said that in the last days, there would be such a great deception that would attempt to deceive even the elect if that were possible. And of course, the implication there is that it would not be possible. God would shield his elect, but he certainly would not shield those who have no salvation. They will find the kingdom of Antichrist and the city that he builds and the city that sustains his power to be, to be the most amazing thing that they've ever seen. But why then does John say that he marvels at the woman? Is he in danger of being seduced by her? Well, I don't think so. John marvels at how freely she drinks the blood of the saints without even a hint of shame. You see, his is a different kind of marveling. He's both startled and overawed at her ability to attract the world. But the angel who is showing him this vision calms John's fears and then promises him that he will unlock for John the mystery of the woman and the mystery of the beast. That's exactly where I began this sermon. The angel is saying, I'm going to show you the mystery of the Antichrist and of the city which is his capital. Has he got your attention? Well, I hope so. So, so lean in and listen up. Get your mind off all the distractions that you might now have. The angel begins by describing the Antichrist, perhaps in a way you've never heard him describe before. We learn that the beast once was, and that must mean that the beast once existed in the past. Now, those words wouldn't surprise us in that First John, John says that a great many antichrists in the past have come. So can we identify them? Well, if we could, that might help because it would help in identifying the antichrist of the future. So hold on, we're going to do that in just a moment. Next, we're told that the beast, that is, at the time of the writing of Revelation, now is not. And that would mean that John is saying that in his time period, that is, while he was on the island of Patmos, while he was writing Revelation from between AD 90 to 95, there was no beast or no antichrist in his day. And that, by the way, is one of the reasons I approach Revelation from the perspective that I do. The Roman emperor Domitian, who was in power during the writing of Revelation, is clearly not identified as the Antichrist. So I would say Domitian is not the Antichrist. But then we're told that the beast is about to rise from the bottomless pit. That is, he will arise in the future with all the power of hell behind him. And just like all the good biblical language about the future, the idea of rising soon is soon from God's perspective and, and not from ours. But he will arise in the future. But you might complain here. I mean, you might say that outside of the mystery of Domitian, that he's not the end times antichrist. I mean, how much further are we along in identifying him? Well, let's continue reading. I'm reading verses 9 and 10. This calls for wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. 
No, I need to say that this is one of the most difficult passages to interpret. Because the passage says that the beast or the Antichrist has seven heads, and the seven heads are seven mountains, a great many Bible teachers in the past have suggested that this must be a description of Rome. Rome must be Babylon. I mean, after all, Rome was known to be the city that was seated on seven hills. But I'm going to argue that this is not a description of Rome at all, because while the seven heads are indeed seven mountains, we're also told they are seven kings. And here's where all the trouble and interpretation begins. Now, without boring you with all the details, the seven kings can't refer to seven emperors who ruled the city of Rome. Well, that's because when John wrote this book, that is Revelation, the emperor Domitian was the 11th emperor. Caesar Augustus was the first. Now, I've seen all manner of attempts to try to get this to fit the Roman situation, but the conclusion must be John is not describing the Roman emperors. Even if, as some have tried, to make it seem like Revelation was written earlier during the time of Nero, Nero would be the fifth emperor, and the seventh would have been a little-known figure named Otho, who certainly doesn't fit the bill of the Antichrist. No, no, this is not Rome or its emperors. Furthermore, the idea of a mountain representing an empire is a very biblical idea, and it's taken directly from the Old Testament. Jeremiah 51 verse 25 calls ancient Babylon a destroying mountain. And Isaiah 2 verse 2 calls the end-time city of Jerusalem the highest of the mountains. And so we should be able to see that calling the city of the Antichrist a city that sits on seven mountains means it sits on seven successive empires or kingdoms that have come to be. No, it's not Rome that John is describing. John is thinking of something else. And this is why he slows us down. He says, this calls for wisdom. We're supposed to contemplate this mystery. But that also means that if we do, we should be able to penetrate the mystery of the Antichrist. Just who will he be? And how will believers know when he enters the scene? So stay tuned, and we're going to show you how that is. As we begin to reflect on the Easter season, we want to help you dig deeply into the significance, drama, and ultimate selfless sacrifice of Jesus. First, listen intently to Dr. Newfeld's new two-week Easter series beginning Monday, March 18th. That can be heard on this station, online at backtothebible.ca, or by downloading the podcast or Back to the Bible Canada's mobile app. Also, we want to encourage you in a special way by offering you Lee Strobel's book, A Case for Easter, as our free gift. In this book, Strobel makes a thorough investigation into three critical Easter questions. Was Jesus really dead after his ordeal on the cross? Was his tomb actually empty on that first Easter morning? And did credible people subsequently encounter him? I think you'll find Strobel's book enlightening and deeply inspiring. So call us today for your free copy at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Part of the mystery of who the Antichrist is is solved for us if we peek ahead and go down to verse 14. There it says, they will make war on the Lamb. That's what the verse says. 
Earlier in chapter 13, we found that Antichrist makes war on the people of God. He's able to defeat them. So let's put it more strongly. Antichrist is able to make war against all the people of God and overcome them. Now, since John says that five of these past antichrists have come and that they have fallen, well, we'll do well to identify from the Old Testament who those kings actually were. So please remember that in the Old Testament, the entire people of God was a much smaller number than they are today. Although not all of Israel believed, it is true that Israel represented all the people of God. Now, of course, after Christ died for the sins of both Jews and Gentiles, all the people of God now in our day have become a worldwide phenomenon. And so unlike the Old Testament, it's now much more difficult to defeat all the people of God than it was in the Old Testament times. And so I take the reference of the five who have fallen to be a reference of five kings who defeated Israel. Do you see my reasoning in this? These five defeated all the people of God. But in the future, the last Antichrist, the great Antichrist, he will defeat all Christians because back in, in verse 8, all the people of God resist the beast or the Antichrist. Okay, if we're right on track, who are those five kings and or the five kingdoms that have defeated the entire people of God in the past? And here's where it gets interesting. According to the Old Testament, there were exactly five kingdoms that defeated Israel. The first was Egypt, and then, of course, after the Exodus, Israel is secure in the Promised Land. And then Assyria defeats her, that's number two. Babylon is number three. Persia is number four, and Greece is number five. And that's the last one before the Romans ruled Israel. Rome is the sixth nation to have defeated Israel. And that fits perfectly with what we're reading. Verse 10 says, there are seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and one is to come. That would seem to fit the biblical data perfectly. But you might wonder about that. I mean, how is it possible that verse 10 says, one is, and yet when we go all the way back to verse 8, we read, the beast that you saw was and now is not and is about to rise. So there in verse 8, we said, he is not, not now. And in the verse 10, it says, well, he is now. See, I think the answer to that dilemma is that back in verse 8, John is speaking about specific kings. And John says, the specific king who is the Antichrist is now not reigning. Now, you might remember that the 10th Roman emperor, he's a man named Titus, he succeeded in burning the Jewish temple to the ground. He utterly defeated Israel and the people of God. He killed many and utterly dispersed the Jewish people so that they did not come back to their homeland from AD 70 until the year 1948. Titus is the sixth example of someone who utterly defeated the whole people of God. But of course, at the time of the writing of Revelation, he is not. But the Roman Empire still rules. So according to verse 10, the Roman Empire is and has not yet fallen. See, that all makes sense. But now, since that time, since the formation of the church and the defeat of Israel, the people of God now involve men and women from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. The church of Jesus Christ has now gone global from nations such as the European ones to China, to Indians, to South and North America. As such, a king to conquer all the people of God has not arisen. 
no one has been able to defeat all the people of God. We can therefore with assurance say that the Antichrist who is to come will have to be the ruler of a global kingdom who will utterly defeat the whole global people of God, men and women from every tribe, race, nation, and tongue who hold to the testimony of Jesus. So far, such a one has not yet come. Now to verses 11 to 14. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. So here we see the angel adds another fact about the beast or the final Antichrist to come. The angel says he's an eighth king, and yet he also belongs to the seventh. Well, that's a mystery, but it might mean that the Antichrist has a two-stage appearance. And this might explain why in verse 10, we're told that the seventh king only remains for a little while. See, that might mean that he is shortly followed by an eighth king who comes from the seventh kingdom. A king to come belongs to the seventh and that his kingdom succeeds in a worldwide domination, but that he is quickly followed by an eighth. Again, since this is not clear, it's wise not to speculate here. See, as we've seen, Antichrist, world domination comes to fruition because he's supported by 10 kings for one hour, that is, for a short period of time, as much as God allows, they give their power to the beast. See, I do know that, unfortunately, some Bible teachers in the past have allowed speculation to overwhelm their good sense. And so a generation ago, it was very popular to argue that when the European Union reaches 10 nations, the Antichrist would rise to power. Now, in our day, we're embarrassed by those statements, but we should learn from them. We should stop speculating, stop guessing about who the 10 nations are who support the Antichrist. I mean, this leads to ridiculous mistakes, and it's led to, to many to mock Christians for their crazy speculating. Stop speculating. We simply can't predict which nations or global kingdoms will support the Antichrist. I think it's going to make sense when it happens, but not before, so stop speculating. So. We learn of a worldwide ruler who will defeat the people of God. But lest we lose hope, we're quickly promised that even though they, that is, the ten kings who support the Antichrist, will wage war on the people of God, we learn that Christ himself will conquer them. And that's because if you haven't heard it yet, you need to acquaint yourself with a glorious truth. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. In the end, he conquers, no one else does. In the end, he wins the final battle. That, my brothers and sisters, ought to really interest us. We're not in dread of the Antichrist. We are in great confidence because our Lord has the last word. Now to verses 15 to 18. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. 
for God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. See, the angel now goes from describing the Antichrist to describing the prostitute. Remember, the prostitute, as verse 18 tells us, is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. This is the city of the Antichrist. This is the rival of the New Jerusalem. This is the city of man. This is the city that deceives the whole earth. But not all is well in this city. The image is striking. Every once in a while, one hears a horrible story of men who who murder prostitutes. I don't always understand the psychology behind such horrible acts, but in some cases, men are overwhelmed with desire, but once the desire is satisfied, it soon becomes something else. It becomes shame and humiliation and even disgust. And then out of this sudden move from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde, they seize upon violence in order to justify their disgust. The same seems to be the case for these 10 kings. At at some time, they're disgusted with their relationship with this horrible city. It seems that at some time in the future, before Christ defeats the Antichrist at Armageddon, there's already dis-ease in his kingdom. The empire is fraying and unraveling. The promises of a glorious new society already looks like a hollow promise, and disillusionment and disgust is setting in. All believers in Jesus Christ know that the hope for humanity never rests in the city of man. No president, no prime minister, king, or dictator has a vision that will satisfy the soul. The kingdoms of this earth have no answer to the human longing. Only Christ does. Our hope is always in Christ and in his kingdom and never in the kingdoms of this world. John, in the midst of all this complexity, there really is a very simple message from the book of Revelation. There sure is, Ben, and I'm so glad you put it that way because even if you disagree with all of the details in terms of how I understand this passage, there is a simplicity. The simplicity is this. Evil is coming to an end. There is a day when it'll breathe its last and it will be done and Christ will triumph. I mean, that's the issue behind it. So let's not lose focus on what it is that Revelation is communicating to us. Let's take hope, believers. This evil era will not last. What a great message and what a great word. Thanks so much and join us again next time right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. We teach the Bible. That's at the core of everything we do at Back to the Bible Canada. To do so most effectively, we strive to use every medium possible to share the gospel. In 2017, we introduced an online video program called Truth in Life Today. And that program has since grown and evolved to provide excellence in Bible teaching that connects relevant issues of faith, life, and culture. Now the big news. As of April 2018, Truth in Life Today will become a weekly television program airing on Joy TV every Friday evening and Sunday afternoon and accessible online on YouTube, among other online options already to be discovered at truthinlifetoday.ca. So this April, join myself, Dr. John Newfeld, and knowledgeable special guests on Truth in Life Today as we speak into issues like religious freedom, family, 
heaven and hell, abortion, and much more. For all the details you need, visit truthandlifetoday.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.